Hello, welcome to chapter four, part two of the, <laughs> the long, hard march, which is begin to code with JavaScript, the book, the read through, uh, <laughs> the trousers, maybe not trousers. Last time we did some work with variables and we learned about whole numbers and floating point numbers. And we did a bit of work and we finally finished off by making a dice program, which if you hadn't got a dice in the house, all you had was a several thousand dollar computer instead, you could make your computer into a, into a dice uh, or die, as I said, because uh, dice is the plural and die is a singular. But enough of how much I know. <laughs> oh no, maybe some more of how much I know. In this section, we're gonna look at working with text because up until now, Everything we've stored in the program has been a number. Um, the programs we've written in the last chapter, in this chapter, will all been been numbers, um, and we have done some stuff with strings. But uh, now it's time to look at how strings really work. Now, uh, the the uh, uh, string is short for string of text, and you talk about computers storing strings because that's how they work. If I look in the text in the book, I see a line that says var v a r, which means. Uh, all shout together, that means Stormy. Make me a variable, please. I'm going to call it customer name because that's a nice, meaningful identifier. And an N in name is a capital because I'm using camel case. That's right. So customer name is the name of my variable equals. I'm doing an assignment. Then the word Fred because my customer is called Fred. Did you know that the word Fred, the keys are in a square on the keyboard? Did you? You did? Oh, fair enough then. So Fred is in, is in double quotes. Uh, and there's a semicolon at the end, which means end of this statement. So this is assigning a string of text to a variable called customer name. Now, the double quotes around the word Fred are in, they're called delimiters. I'm leaning over to one side because this is italic. And I really am leaning. I really am. And they're called delimiters because they, they define the limits of the text. They are part of the string. I'm storing the four characters F-R-E-D. But JavaScript needs to know when the name starts and when the name ends. And double quote is the character I have chosen for that. Now, this makes the variable custom name different from the variable total that we made earlier because it holds text rather than a number. And we can use this variable anywhere we would normally use a string. So I can make a variable called message uh, and I could assign that to the, to the string double quote. The name is double quote plus customer name uh, in the in this assignment um, we we add the customer name on the end of a string that says the name is and so that means you're making a thing which is going to hold the name is Fred and in the example I make a variable called message which is going to contain the name is Fred I do this quite a lot in my programs you'll see I make a string called message or whatever it's called or result or total whatever, and I'll put that onto my paragraph to let the uh, user see what's going on. And I've just remembered I've gone all the way to this point and I haven't used any echo at all. I'm missing the echo on the first bit. I thought it sounded a bit flat. So here we go. JavaScript string delimiters. Now, the double quote character can act as delimiter. It works very well, but the you get into questions about, okay, so now how do we put a double quote into our string? And the answer in JavaScript is quite easy you can use a single quote to mark the start and the end as well. So I have a message I have a, a, a message string which is set to read, begin to code with JavaScript. It's an amazing book. And begin to code with JavaScript is in double quotes. But that doesn't matter because the entire string is enclosed in single quotes. Uh, so, uh, of course, 
now I've told you that, you're going to come back and say, oh, okay, but what if I want to have a string that contains both single and double quotes? Um, well, in that case, you can use backticks. Now, the backtick is hard to find on the keyboard, but tends to lurk around the top left-hand corner on mine, uh, along with apparently three other characters on that key. But backtick, um, terribly useful, because it means that now my stream can contain single quotes and double quotes. Um, and so, yeah, uh, think about backtick as being a good thing to do. If you ever need to enter a string that contains double quotes, single quotes and back ticks, that must be one heck of a string. And you would enter it by using these things called escape sequences. And I'm leaning over, I'm saying that because that is in italic. So escape sequences in strings. Now, you can use escape sequences to include any character you like in a string. Now, normally, if a string contains letter A, then that's what you'll have in the string. In other words, A means A. But when JavaScript sees the escape character, which is a backslash character, which you'll find lurking on your keyboard. I'm just looking on mine now and I can't find it. Um, it's usually, I, I can type it. It's down at the bottom left on, on mine, but it might be in different places for you. But backslash is an escape. It means escape from the normal humdrum world of ordinary characters and do something fancy. And the first one I'll tell you is backslash because backslash backslash in a string means a single backslash character, as you might expect. Backslash followed by single quote means single quote, and the same is true for double quote. Um, backslash n means take a new line, and backslash t means have a tab, and backslash r means carriage return. These are a bit weird, um, but um, they don't need to use them. The, the most important ones really are the escape characters that get you the single quotes and the uh, back ticks and whatnot, and you can use all those. Um, in the table, I keep using the word Unicode, uh, which is what unicorns program in. <laughs> no, Unicorn is, Unicode is not what unicorns program in. Do not quote me on that. Unicode is a standard code for mapping particular numbers onto particular characters. We saw it in chapter two when we displayed some symbols. Um, and what I'm saying in this really is that the characters you put into JavaScript strings end up being encoded as Unicode, which is absolutely fine. Working with strings and numbers. So you can create expressions involving strings, uh, but the only thing you can do with a string is add one to another. Multiplication, division, subtraction don't work between strings. Um, but you can create expressions that also involve strings and numbers. But you need to be a little bit careful about this. And we have a tiny code analysis, which I'll go through um, now uh, to actually discuss this in a bit more detail. So with a bit, bit more echo, code analysis, combining strings and numbers. So yeah, first thing, question, what happens if I add a number to a string? Well, the answer is that we know that JavaScript regards numbers and strings of different types of data. Uh, but if I say string plus number, it works exactly how you would expect and that what happens is that the numeric value is promoted if you like to a string so if i say string hello plus value 99 i'll get hello 99 which is exactly what i would expect but you can get weird stuff as in question what happens if i add lots of numbers to a string answer well this can result in some weird stuff 
in the text in the book, I've got 1 plus 2 plus hello plus 3 plus 4. And you look at that and you go, OK, what will it do? Well, it takes the 1 and the 2 and adds them and makes a value called 3. Well, sorry, it makes a value 3. It then sees the word hello and goes, ooh, I'm adding a string. I'll convert the number I have in my hand into a string. So it takes the 3 and puts that in front of the hello, and now it knows it's doing nothing but strings. So the 3 and the 4 that come after that are both made into strings individually. So 1 plus 2 plus hello plus 3 plus 4 gives you 3 hello 34. If you understand that first time, you are a ninja and have my undying respect. If you don't understand it, and that's the other 90... <laughs> No, maybe you got it. Maybe you're good. Excellent. If you did, fantastic. Just think in terms of what's going to happen. The first string that Java sees, it goes, it goes, ah, I'm in string mode. And it picks up whatever it has at that point in its hand and makes it into a string. If that's a single number, fantastic. If it's a sequence of numbers, in other words, it's been doing a sum, then in that, in that position, you're going to actually find that you'll get the sum made into a string not the individual values. Um, in the notes in the book, I have uh, a piece of expression which goes bracket 1 plus 2, close bracket. I, I bracket up my 1 plus 2 and I get 3. And I bracket up my, my 3 plus 4 and I get 7. Uh, and, and, and so from that point of view, uh, uh, it, it all kind of makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you can do this. It it, uh, uh, it takes a little bit of, of, of brain tingling, uh, but what you can do is you can actually um, make it so that you're unambiguous about how the sum is done. But what I tend to do is I don't approve of this. I'll actually, as I do in the book, uh, I'll, I'll have uh, intermediate values. So if I want to actually do sums inside my program I will do that I'll take the results of those sums and I'll drop them into the string I'll not do the sums in the string formation take a look in the book it actually makes a lot more sense there but the bottom line is that JavaScript will convert numeric values into strings when it knows it has to but that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll get the output you're expecting because it might do it halfway through a numeric calculation at which point you'll get kind of weird stuff um, bottom line here is that yes if you don't have your <laughs> If you don't have your wits about you, you might get weird numbers. If you do see weird numbers, look at this as being a possible cause. Uh, and that works for me. So we're going to keep moving forward now. Converting strings into numbers. Wonderful. Okay, so we've seen that JavaScript regards strings of numbers and uh, uh, a text as being somewhat different things. And that's, that is absolutely the case. Um, so when you want to actually do something like in the text we've got here, I want to make myself an adding machine, uh, which takes two numbers in and adds them together and displays the result. Then we have to do a little a bit of programming effort here because when I type in the number that I want to add together, that'll go in as a piece of text and something has to happen which converts that into a numeric value. In other words, the bottom line here is that JavaScript will quite happily convert digits into strings. It'll take a value and make it into a string. That's fine. But it will not go the other way automatically. You have to do some work. And to do that, you have to make something happen. And if you're making something happen, that means a little video insert. And so if you want to go off and watch that now, that would be wonderful. I'm going to go off and record that now. <laughs> so, so we're going to be kind of synchronized in some strange kind of weird way. So you watch it, I'll record it, 
and I'll be back after the break. You came back. Thanks so much. Right. Um, that was really reading strings in and converting them into numbers uh, and uh, all the fun and games you can have in that situation when things go wrong, which brings us to a programmer's point. Programmer's point. Hello, <laughs> just, I just like the echo. I don't know. Error handling is a big part of programming because professional pro programmers spend at least as much time thinking about how things go wrong as they do writing program code. And they spend a lot of time proving how their program works by testing it. Uh, this is why uh, a very simple program uh, can cost a lot of money to make because you do at least two or three times as much work making the unhappy path as you do making the happy one, which is, I guess, rather sad. But there you go. Making applications. Uh, we now know enough programming to be able to make some Kind of useful applications, even things that uh, things that you you might find fun. I'm going to do that. The first one of these is calculating a pizza order. Uh, now, rigorous scientific research conducted by me at hackathons uh, has arrived at a figure of exactly 1.5 people per pizza. In other words, if I get 30 students at my hackathon, I'll need 20 pizzas and so on. And I thought I'd make a web page that can work out how many pizzas I need to order for a given number of students. The user types in the number of students and presses the Calculate Pizzas button to display the result. Now, the code's in the book. And it's fantastic, of course. The interesting thing for us is the tiny equation right slap bang in the middle, which works out the number of pizzas from the number of students. If you think about it, everything else you can take from the other programs you've written up until now. So you can uh, take your adding machine, throw away one of the numbers, call the other number how many students you've got coming, uh, and then have the button when it presses run a program that rather than adding two numbers together, works out how many students uh, need how many pizzas. Uh, and the program has this simple statement, slap bang in the middle, which says var number of pizzas equals number of students divided by 1.5. Because as we saw, it's 1.5 students, uh, so 1.5 pizzas per student. And that works very well, except for the fact there are some kind of interesting, you put some test data in and weird things happen. If I ask for 40 students worth of pizzas i get a figure of 26.6666666 pizzas because it's all that uh, floating point real number type thing again I, I i get a number which is a fraction because sometimes if you divide a thing by 1.5 you're going to get a fraction now i can't ask the pizza place for a fraction of a pizza so i'd, I'd like to do a thing where we convert the number of pizzas to an integer uh, and i could use that thing called floor if you remember what floor does floor says throw away the fractional part and so if i come in with 26.6666666 if i use floor it'll take that down to 26 so i'll be two-thirds of the pizza short which means that one of my students will end up being hungry which we just can't have so if you think about it the best way to do this is to sort of take the floor well i decided i, I thought we'll add an extra pizza on the end we'll buy one spare one uh, so we have a little piece of uh, math dot floor that takes the number and knocks it down by uh, to the to the uh, nearest integer uh, by chopping off the fractional part then we add one just to have the, the spare pizza and uh, that works quite 
that works quite handily. If you want to make something happen, then by all means get hold of the PizzaCalc version 1 program in uh, working with data in the examples for this chapter and do your own, do your own, do your own flooring. <laughs> yes, why not? Uh, and uh, I've got one there as well, version 2, which does that. Uh, and if you look carefully at the code, you'll find I'm actually using style sheets to do my formatting because I'm starting to do things properly. But before we go any further, we have a programmer's point. Programmer's point. Never assume that you know what a program is supposed to do. Now, this is really, really important. Some people say that assume is a word that makes an ass out of you and me. If you look at the word <laughs> okay that was that was a bit that was that was a bit poor but there you go um if you wrote the pizza calculator for a customer uh, and you made a guess at the best way to handle the extra pizza problem there's always going to be a chance you're going to be wrong uh, the customer might get cross with you because they wanted it to round the pizza number down to save money. Or they might be cross with you because they've had students complaining that there wasn't enough pizza to go round and they ran out. Uh, as, as a programmer, you should never assume that you know what it's supposed to do in these tricky situations. Uh, and so you must try and think ahead to come up with actual sort of questions and scenarios you can put to the customer to find out what they do uh, what they want in these these tricky sort of edge case situations and this will be one of them you know when you, you say to the guy okay uh, what do you want to happen if we have a fraction of a pizza do you want me to round up round down add an extra pizza for luck what, what do you fancy and you get the answer and you put it in the code and better yet you get everyone to sign off on it so that you're absolutely sure that everyone knows what needs to happen and then you can move on uh, and uh, no one gets unhappy. I think computing is really the science of the happy ending. Uh, we are trying to make a happy ending by actually uh, building something to put a smile on someone's face. Um, and if you take that mindset uh, and, you and you team up with the customer to make yourselves a, a pair working together to get the happy ending, then you'll do absolutely fine. So one more program to write. Converting between Fahrenheit and centigrade. Um, now, the interesting thing here is that actually, um, now we've got this program to take something in, do something with it and display the result, we can use it for anything. Uh, and one of the things you can do is you can take the temperature in Fahrenheit, which is uh, a big number, and make it in centigrade, which is a bit smaller. And there is a formula which will do this for you, and it is take your Fahrenheit value, subtract 32 from it and divide it by the magic number 1.8 and you get a centigrade value now you can take that equation uh, make it into an expression and drop it into your pizza calc program and you're just changing one line and everything else is the same and you can sell that to your local chemist friend or physicist so you've sold one to the pizza person and one to the, and you can hit the same code just change the middle bit uh, and, and away you go. There is, however, a slight issue, which is that 60 degrees Fahrenheit ends up being 15.55555555 degrees centigrade. Now, that's that's fine. <laughs> it's correct. It's not, as we know, it's not particularly accurate because our thermometer doesn't give us more than a, a, a fraction of, of centigrade, if that. So it's a bit sort of annoying for the customer. But it turns out that there is a method you can ask a number to do for you, which is called too fixed. And you can say to a number, Give me your give me your value with a fixed number of decimal places, please. And so two fixed says, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you that with a number. And you say two fixed and give it the value one, and you get a number with a single uh, 
uh, fraction. So you get some rather than 15.5555, you get 15.6, sorry, I apologize. So there are tricks you can use to get variables to do things for you. And this is one of them. And that's why it's worth playing with this and taking a look. But the underlying principle is absolutely slap bang on the money here which is that we really want to have a situation where we can take our framework of our program, the input and the output, and keep that the same and just change the middle bit, the bit that actually does the sums. Uh, and that's a standard principle I've been, I've been using for a very, very long time. If you look in the examples, you can find my program. And rather spectacularly, I managed to find an emoji, um, a little symbol, which is a, a, a thermometer. And I could put that in there to make it look even prettier. So go have a look at that uh, and be amazed. Uh, and while, when you come back, we'll move on to adding comments. Adding comments. Comments are big. Comments are a big thing for me. As soon as you start making useful programs, you should start adding comments to make it clear what the program's doing. You don't write comments for the computer. You write comments for someone else reading your program and going, oh, why on earth did he do that? Um, a comment is basically a chunk of text enclosed between a delimiter which starts it and one that ends it. The one that starts it is forward slash star, and the one that ends it is star forward slash and you can put as much as you like in between those two denominators and the browser will ignore this completely now if you read the comment description in the book you will find that i've added the comment based on pizza feeding 1.5 students we divide the number of students by 1.5 the number of pizzas then we drop off the fractional part and add one to round up the number note this means we get we might buy slightly too much pizza for some numbers of students that's a big comment before the magic equation in my pizza program that works out how many pizzas you want to have for a given number of students if you just saw the the, the raw statement you'd look at it and go car I wonder why on earth he's done that. What does that? What's that 1.5 for? Where did that come from? Is that magic? What do we do? If the comment wasn't there, you would have to know. You'd have to have done the same research I have. And the rounding up behavior, which is a particular interpretation of how things are supposed to work, that could do with being explained as well. So you've got those two things. Uh, and so putting comments in, that's what they're there for. So someone reads it and goes, blimey, what does that mean? Uh, what's that for? And the comment should answer that question. Um, these things are ignored by the browser. And so you can just whack them in to make things easy to understand. For the centigrade and Fahrenheit one, I have a little comment that says using standard conversion formula. And if I was uh, really determined, I put a web link in there to a page somewhere on the interwebs that explains the conversion and, and why it works. Now, if I want to do that, I can make what's called a single line comment. And the single line comment starts with a forward slash, forward slash, and extends to the end of that line. So you can comment out a single a single piece. So you can have a statement, and then a little comment on the end that says, this is what it does. Um, if you use Visual Studio to, Studio to write your programs, you'll find these come out in green, which is uh, that's, that's a pleasing color and very eco-friendly. So you can use that for comments. Um, it's very important that programs are written in a way that makes it easy for humans to understand what's going on. Uh, one way we do this is by picking nice identifiers for variables. So the name describes the contents and comments are another trick. Now, some people say that writing a program is a bit like writing a story. I'm not completely convinced that this is true. I found that some computer manuals are works of fiction. Ho ho. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, but programs are something else. I think that while it isn't a story as such, a good program text does have some of the characteristics of good literature. Here are a few bullet points. It should be easy to read. At no point should the hapless reader really be forced to backtrack or brush up on things that we assume are there. 
All the names in the text should impart meaning and be distinct from each other. It should have good punctuation and grammar and the various components should be organised. This, this sounds a bit serious because it is. Um, we should have a clear and consistent organisation. It should look good on the page. A good programme is well laid out. Um, my code looks like an old master. My goodness, it looks it looks tidy and, and clean. Everything should be indented in, in, uh, on the page in sensible ways, and the statement should spread over the page in a well-formed manner. If you look at the code I've written in all the examples so far, you'll get a feel for that. The machine itself will do some of that. You can persuade Visual Studio Code to lay your programme out for you and make it look stylish uh, if you don't want to do it yourself and the final bullet point is it should be clear who wrote it and when it was last changed if you write something good you should sign it uh, uh, da vinci signed his pictures you should sign your programs um, and yeah you should definitely do that and if you change it you should put a comment in saying i changed it on so and so and so and so and this is why i fixed this bug i made this work i added this feature and that should grow along with the program itself a good program is like a living document People will have added things and whatnot. And do bear in mind that if you get a proper job as a programmer, you'll be in a team and your other team members will want to read your code and figure out what it was that you did to make that thing work. And they'll need to understand this stuff as well. And that's why good comments are a good thing. Um, a big part of a well-written program is the comments the programmer put there. A program without comments is a bit like an aeroplane that has an autopilot but no windows. There's a good chance it'll take you to the right place, but it'll be very hard to tell what's going on from the inside. So be generous with your comments. They make your program much easier to understand. And one thing which will amaze you about programming is how quickly you will forget how you did something. So you go back to a program in six months, I'm looking at it and go, oh my goodness, who wrote this? And why is it so stupid? And who wrote this? And you'd find your name at the top. And, and that'll be, that's quite a salutary lesson. Uh, I think we can, we can all agree. So, yeah, um, put comments in there, a good thing. But And here's a programmer's point. Programmer's point. Don't add too much detail to your comments. Um, just because I say comments are good doesn't mean that every line should have a comment. It doesn't mean that every statement... So if you say goat count equals goat count plus one because you're counting goats, do not have a comment which says add one to gate count because that's just calling the programmer too thick to understand what <laughs> the increment behavior does so yeah don't do that um, and the final thing i'll mention here on comments is html comments um, we saw these in chapter two if you want to put comments in your html you can do that too these are a different delimiter comments in html are marked at the start of them by less than exclamation mark two minuses and ended by minus minus greater than everything between there comes up green because it's a comment and will be ignored by the browser so that all makes extremely good sense comments are a good thing to do I'll be putting comments into my programs to make it easy for you to understand what they do uh, and you should put them into yours too so and with that without further ado let's go on and do some some new exciting scary stuff global and local variables ah now at the start of this program at the very beginning of this chapter we wanted to make a totalizer program that actually added up a bunch of numbers and we were very keen to do this and we went to the variable called total which are going to hold the total value. Uh, we've sat down with the customer and, and she's got some ideas on how it should look and how it should work. And so we have a stylish black background. We have an abacus emoji. We have a dialogue which says, 
value to add then the place you type the value and a button you press that says add to total a display with the total and a button underneath that says set total to zero because she's figured out that after a while you may want to zero your total and add some more numbers and that's what that button will do uh, and that's absolutely fine and a good point to drop in another programmer's point getting a good specification is vital now the little screenshot that I put in the manual is a really good way of getting the look and feel for the program and a good feeling for how it works. Uh, and that's a fantastic start. And you should so do that. It sets out exactly how the program should look and what the various components should do. But if I was talking to my customer building this, I'd have some other questions as well. I'd want to know if there's an upper limit on the amount to be added. Can we add 86,000 million billion gazillion or is the upper limit seven? Um, I always want to know, can we put negative numbers in and make the total go down? Because it might be that my customer is assuming you can't, and if I make a system which assumes that you can, then we're going to have trouble. Reverse is true as well. So you have to have it written down, and you have to agree to what it's supposed to do, and you have to both sign it. And really, this is, this is how I would do it. Um, otherwise, you end up having conversations with your customer, which include phrases like, it isn't supposed to do that, uh, and you have to do lots and lots of rework. Now, I don't mind doing rework, but I do mind it if I'm not being paid for it. So if I get the spec right and the customer signs off on that spec and we find the spec is wrong, then I get paid for fixing it. If we don't have a spec, I don't get paid for fixing it. So go figure, which do I prefer? So we've got this total program. We know how it's supposed to work, um, and <laughs> but we don't know how to make it work because we need global variables. Uh, that sounded good, like a winner. The, today's winner is Global Variables. Yeah, well, sort of. Because this is the first program, the Totalizer program is the first program we've ever written that needs to remember something between function calls. Because up until now, every program we've written has taken a number from the user, done something with it, and then spat it out again. Um, so centigrade to Fahrenheit or whatever it was, adding two numbers together. The numbers come in, we do something with them, the numbers go out. In Totalizer, different situation, because in the Totalizer, the system wants to remember the number that it had last time, the total number, we add to it each time. And it turns out that that is interesting, because all the vars we've made up until now have been inside JavaScript functions. Look at the uh, centigrade to Fahrenheit. Getting it the wrong way around. The Fahrenheit centigrade program. If I have my do temp convert function in front of me, I've got a var for Fahrenheit, a var for centigrade, a var for the results, and they're all declared inside the function. And when the function ends, so do they. They all vanish. Boom, they all go away, which is fine. It's how it's supposed to be. You don't want to have variables lying around that you aren't using. Now, you can make a variable global by simply declaring it outside any other function. So inside my program, I have a variable called var total, and it's not inside the, any other function. It just sits there. And that makes it special because it exists all the time. It exists outside any JavaScript functions, and it's called global because it can be used by any function in my application. And I've added a comment on its declaration in my listing in the book because I want these to stand out because, here comes a programmer's point, global variables are a necessary evil. Yeah, <laughs> that's my evil voice. What do you think? Yeah, okay, fine. Um, you talk to some programmers, they'll tell you that your programs should never use global variables because they're scary and a failure point. Um, 
if I make all my variables shiny and new from scratch, I can be absolutely sure that they'll never hold a bad value because my program will make sure this is the case. If my program contains a function that wakes up and uses a global variable, it's kind of relying on that variable having a sensible number in it. And that, that, so that, that's a bit sort of, that, that's not um, quite as safe. Uh, programs programmers talk about functions having things called side effects where a side effect is um, the function runs and it changes something global in the system in the case of our totalizer program we'll have a function called do add to total and that will take the value the user's typed in and add it to a global total value um, unintended side effects are bad intended side effects i'm quite happy with um, and and so it's one of these things where you, if you, <laughs> I don't mind global variables as long as they're managed. Um, I don't make all my variables global because that would be silly. Um, if somebody else uses a variable with the same name, I'm going to have problems. Uh, and so just use them uh, and, and ignore the people that say um, they're a bad plan because sometimes to make things work, you have to do these kinds of things. And I'm completely and utterly perfectly happy with that. But we can do some code analysis <coughs> of variables and side effects now because that's the next thing. Having looked at this, there are some questions you might have, and let's go through these one at a time. So question one, question, when is a global variable created? And the answer, it's created by the browser when the web page is loaded by the browser. So when the web page gets pulled into memory uh, and the browser starts doing things with it, at that point it goes through and sets all the global variables up. Uh, and in the program that you can find in the examples, I have a var total equals zero, and that creates it and clears it at the same time. If you want to, you can write a special function which runs on the onload event we saw in the ticking clock in chapter three, which could set all your global variables to whatever value they have to have when, when the thing actually runs. So next question. Question, is the value of a global variable retained if I reload the web page? The answer is no. Um, if you reload the page, the JavaScript environment's completely reset and all the global variables are reinitialized. Uh, so you, you would, you, it would basically be like wiping the slate clean. Question, is a single global variable shared between multiple tabs in the same page being viewed by a single browser? I can open the same web page in lots of different tabs in my browser should I wish to do that. Um, would the total value be shared amongst all of those? And the answer is no. Each web page has its own separate JavaScript, so they'll all be distinct and separate. Uh, final question, I think. Question, do any other functions in the totalizer have side effects? Think about this. Um, the answer is yes, because we want to clear the screen. We want to do a, a do zero, and the zero behavior will have to be to set the total value to naught. So we have a second function that runs on the second button that sets the global variable total to zero and then displays the message. And the final, final, final question, question, how could I create the totalizer without using a global variable? This is a tricky one. Um, turns out that we'll find a way later in the book of creating variables that hang around even when the function that created them has finished running. And we'll use that, we could use that to make a total manager that actually looks after the, the, the total value. And we say, clear yourself now and bring yourself back. So there are ways of doing it, but not in chapter four of the book, if you're okay with that. If you look in the uh, uh, data, uh, the, the sample programs for this, then you'll find there's a totalizer program in there 
and away you go with that. So that's all jolly good. Now we have some make things happen for you to have a go at. So here we go. Make something happen. Make some party games. Now, there's no better way to show off your programming skills than using them to make some silly party games. At least, that's what I think. We can create good-looking party games using ourselves with CSS. We can, we can make the, the screen look good, and we can use JavaScript to get the behavior. We've got some randomness we can use to drive things, uh, and let's see if we can make some games. And the first game we're going to talk about is a game called Nerves of Steel. Now, I quite like this. It's a good game for a whole bunch of people at a party. Or you can actually play it remotely. <laughs> I'm recording this during the, the nastiest pandemic that I can remember, as in the only pandemic I can remember, when no one can meet anybody. But you can all go on Zoom and play this game, Nerves of Steel. One player presses the Start button. Everyone stands up. The program then pauses for a random time between 5 and 20 seconds. And during that time... Players can sit down anytime they like. When the interval expires, the program displays last to sit down wins, and the person who sat down closest to the timer expiring, they're the winner. Anybody still standing up is out. So all you have to do is just watch who stands up, stands up, uh, sits down last before the timer goes ping. Uh, and uh, if you've got, you know, you can. T it's a just basically it's the egg timer, right? But with a different set of messages. And it works extremely well. The thing to bear in mind is don't make the th give you at least give the users at least five seconds to sit down. Um, but that you can you can build that. You've got the smarts to actually build. There's nothing you need to know. Uh, you know everything you need to know to make that work. So how about another game, High Low? Now High Low is a bit like the egg timer, but different. This uses this needs a global variable to store of a, a value. We have a, a, a same kind of thing. You press the start button. And you press the and the program displays a, a number between one and ten, inclusive. So it might display say four. Um, the program then sleeps for twenty seconds, and the players of the game stand on the left or the right, depending whether they think the number that's going to come up next will be lower or higher than the one that's just started. So um, if I think it'll be nine, I'll stand on the right. If I think it'll be four, I'll stand on the left. Okay. So um, then after the timer goes ping, anyone on the wrong side is eliminated, and you play with the remaining players. Uh, now, this can actually get quite tactical because sometimes it's worth taking a punt on the odds going the way they wouldn't be expected to just so you're the last man standing. Uh, and that's kind of fun. And again, you can do that quite handily uh, with the program skills that you've already got. You can take programs you've already written or played with and you can modify them to make your own last man standing. There's a little bit of stuff at the end called adding sound. Um, we've done some sound already, but the sound we did in the earlier chapters was just playing back things using a play button on the actual web page. Turns out you can ask an element to play itself. So if I get an element in, in my web page, I can find it. I can then call the play method on the element and it will start playing. There's also a pause element which stops it playing, which is kind of useful. When, when the clock stops ticking, you want the ticking sound to stop. Um, and stop a pause will do that for you there is no stop there is no way of sort of stopping and then when you say play it'll pick up from when it was paused so you have to be a bit clever in that to restart the sound from the beginning for the next turn of the game you have to use a, a property called current time so you can say to a sound element how far through have you played or you can say set your playback position to x where x is a number of seconds so you can say dot current time equals zero 
And that kind of rewinds the clock back to naught. Um, and that means that you can then at that point uh, play from the beginning. Um, it's in the notes. It's kind of fun. I've made my own versions of these games and I think they're, they're quite fun. They're in the working with data folder as you would expect you can play those you can make them better than mine mine has no animation when the clock is ticking you could make an event that fires every second to make things change on the screen and it could just be tick tock or whatever you could do all that um, but by all means go and play with mine use them as the basis of your wonderful solution or alternatively uh, write your own from scratch so we're at the end now and as usual we have a uh, we have a what you have learned at the end. Now this chapter has given you a good understanding of JavaScript programs and how they store and manipulate data. Uh, here are the major points you've covered in the chapter. Here we go. All on one breath. I don't think so. Now a computer is fundamentally a data processor. A program receives data, does something with it and outputs more data. What the computer does with the data is determined by the program itself. Now, the JavaScript programs that we've created take data in from input elements and display data by updating the text displayed by a paragraph element. That's how they get input and provide output. Now, data processing in a computer is performed by the evaluation of expressions. An expression contains operands, these are the values that we work with, and operators that specify what's to be done with the operands. In the expression 2 plus 3, the operands are literal values 2 and 3, and the operator, no surprises, is Plus, now a program is completely unaware of the nature of the data it is processing. The meaning is added by a human being reading the thing and going, my God, I've got eight million pounds in the bank. Uh, that doesn't often happen, <laughs> not to me anyway. Uh, and so you've got this, uh, computers are patterns of bits. People are driven by things that they think will well, they, they impact them or whatever in some way. One is data, one is information. Now, in terms of programming, a variable is a named storage location that holds the value the program's working with, and we create variables using the word var in our JavaScript programs. Now, variables can be used as operands in expressions, and the assignment operators used to set a value within a variable. Variables can be created before they are used, in which case they're made undefined until we put something in them. Uh, and when assigned to a value, a variable will acquire a type appropriate to the value. And the two types we've seen so far are number, a numeric value, and string, a string of text. Now, operators in an expression are evaluated according to their priority, and we can put brackets in to override this. Numbers in a program can be real numbers with a fractional part or whole numbers, which are integers. And JavaScript provides math functions for creating whole numbers from floating point ones. The floor function removes the fractional part and throws it away, whereas the round function rounds things up to the nearest whole number. Uh, text in a program source can actually, strings of text are delimited by single quote, double quote, or backtick characters. And we can use these escape character things in strings for the entry of delimiters and for some non-printable characters as well. Now, in an expression involving numeric and string values, the numeric values are automatically converted into strings. The JavaScript function number is used to convert a string into a numeric value. If this conversion isn't possible, the number function returns a value called nan, or not a number. And, and all numeric calculations involving the value nan will make another nan, because <laughs> adding not a number to a thing makes it not a number. And away you go. We can add comments to our programs by limiting them with the slash star and star slash character sequence. And a single line comment you can do with slash slash followed by text to the end of that line. Now, final thing, a variable can be made global 
by declaring it outside any JavaScript function. Now, global variables are useful because they allow values to be shared between functions, but they should be used with care because they represent a way in which a fault in one function could set a global variable to a value which could cause another function to fail. Changes made by a function to the contents of a global variable are known as side effects. To, and, and finally, final, final, finally, to reinforce your understanding of this chapter, we have a few profound questions about variables. Question one is a question, do all computer programs have to have an input? Uh, most programs have an input that they work on to produce an output. However, not all programs have an input. The nerves of steel and high-low games we've seen get their input from random numbers that they then display. So what's the difference between an undefined and not a number? Now, a JavaScript variable normally holds a value. However, it can also hold the special values undefined and not a number. If it's being created but not yet assigned a value, it's undefined. So, wrong. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's late in the day. The value not a number is used to represent a situation. Wait, wait, wait. I calculated, didn't we kind of, so you can have a variable which is a number that holds a value which says this is not a number. <laughs> It makes sense if you think about it. If you think of the possibility that things, there are things in the world that are numbers and things in the world that are not numbers, and a JavaScript numeric variable can hold both. Um, and depending on what you try and put in there, uh, you, you can actually have either of those kinds of things in there. Uh, if you try and can use number to convert a thing into uh, a number which isn't a proper number, you get not a number coming out. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's think, if you think about why they do it this way, then it kind of makes sense. Look uh, over the reasons that you, I want to be able to store the fact that it's supposed to be a number, but you've given me something stupid and I can't make it into a number. And I have to store that situation and I do it in this way. So I'll put the echo one for the last few questions. Do long variable names slow my program down? No, but they can speed up the process of understanding what the program does. Here we go. What's the difference between an operator and an operand? Now, an operator is a doing thing. In the English language, we call that like a verb. Um, an operand is the thing that's operated on. In the sentence, the cat sat on the mat, I would say the operands are probably cat and mat, and the operator is sat. What is the difference between a real number and a whole number? Now, a real number has a fractional part. The value of pi is a real number. It has this fractional component, 3.1416 or whatever, a whole number has no fractional part. Whole number values used in programs for things like counting, like how many sheep are there in the field, that'll be an integer. Whereas real numbers are used for calculated values like the average weight of, all, of, of the sheep in the field. What is the length of the longest string a program can hold? Now, a string in a JavaScript program can be very, very long. You could store war and peace in a string if you wanted to, although I'm not sure quite why you want to. Can I create a global variable inside a JavaScript function? No, you can't do that. The important thing about a global variable is it exists outside all functions. The variables made inside a function body are discarded when the function stops running. However, we sometimes need variables whose values are persisted between function calls, like total, for example. These are declared as global and can be picked up by all functions. And uh, finally, a lovely one. How can I make a string that contains a double quote characters delimited? Now, you should know this. My programs, I tend to use double quote out of habit, but you don't have to. To make a double quote in the string, I could use an escape character, backslash double quote, 
or I could delimit the string with single quote or backtick. Either of those will work and either of those are acceptable answers. And with that, we've reached the end of chapter four of Begin to Code with JavaScript. You can find all the code and all the chapters on begintocodewithjavascript.com. My name's Rob Miles and Oh, wow, that was that was quite something. Uh, I hope you found it interesting, useful, enjoyable, and fun. I enjoy doing these things, and I kind of hope you guys and gals, everyone enjoys hearing them. So, with that, until chapter five, goodbye. <laughs>